It's like preaching down by the river. I mean, in a minute, when we introduce the topic today, this is going to be perfect. So I'm really glad that that's happening. It is early this morning. I, you know, we start at 10 back home and you start at 9 and we're still friends, barely. But then the time has changed, so it's, I mean, it's really still last night for me, but uh, we're glad that you're here. It's good to be a part of this study, and I'm very thankful for it. If you were here over the weekend, even Friday night, we talked about a lot of things. We packed in a ton of material about Jesus. We began on Friday night by imagining his presence, really seeing him walk into the room and imagining how you would respond to having him look you in the eye. That's a powerful idea, and we began with that. When we came back Saturday, we just stared at Jesus all day long, and we thought about how he loved his neighbor, and we need to go out and love our neighbors. We talked about how he was just constantly talking to people about God, and we need to go out and talk to people about God. We looked at his gentleness and his humility, and it was just a lot of information. And sometimes what can happen is you spend a weekend learning a lot of things, really loading up your bucket, and then you get out there on Monday and it's almost like it's just too much. You don't know where to begin with it. It seems like there are too many parts and pieces. And so as we got into today's study, I wanted to show you a simple tip that can help all of that fall into place as you go throughout this week. Basically, it is described in one simple phrase. Maybe you've heard of this before. I'm excited to share it with you. It's called the one thing. You learned this weekend many things, but in any given situation, environment, conversation, or day, you've got to go into that moment. You have all these tools in your bag. You have to go into that singular moment beforehand, consciously identifying one singular thing. And if you can do that, you can succeed in that moment. Here's what we mean by one thing. We don't mean it's the only thing. In any given situation, there's lots of things going on. We don't mean saying only one thing. You're gonna say lots of things. What we mean is there is one most important thing in that environment, and you've identified it. You may be the only person in the room who has identified it, but you've done that. It means it's the thing that comes first out of all the other things. It's the thing you think about first, and here's the real secret. Every other thing that gets said in that conversation, every other thing that happens in worship this morning, you're in a situation right now, actually. Every other thing is like dominoes that fall in behind the one thing. The Bible talks a lot about this. I'm going to give you five examples this morning about how you identify the one thing. I'll give you some examples. I think it'll be clear with a couple of examples. A couple of months ago, I was spending the afternoon with someone that I know very well that I notoriously argue with. It always ends up in an argument. We have similar abrasive personalities at times, and though I may try so very, very hard, something gets said, there's some reaction. So I knew I was going to spend some time with this person. So before I even saw them, we hadn't even begun to talk, I identified that day, that afternoon, my one thing, and it was peace. I had to close my eyes and lift my hands when I said it. There will be peace. It doesn't matter what that person says, there will be peace. No matter what topics brought up, I will introduce peace. No matter how hard they may come at me, my answer will be peace. And just look, lots of things got said. 
Lots of topics discussed, but I never lost sight of my one singular thing. And we had, bar none, the best conversation we've had in five years. One thing made all the difference. If you have the ability to do this, you're gonna see some major changes. Here's a guy who's going to work tomorrow, and he goes to the same office, same time, every day, except this time, before he gets out of the truck or the car, he identifies the one thing. He says, I'm gonna spend 10 hours in that building right there, but my one thing is, God is with me. Remember Jesus walking in the room? Jesus is right beside me, God is with me. So he walks in and he sits down and his same old buddy walks by and says, hey man, how you doing today? And he turns around and says, I'm doing great, God is with me. And the man goes, cool, and walks on. And the guy says, I've been working here 10 years, I've never said that. Like I've always said, not much, or things are going fine. Why did I say God is with me? I know why he said it. Because he walked into the building unique to any other time he'd ever walked in before. He had chosen one identifying mark, the presence of God, and it already began to make a difference in the way that he behaved. Same guy goes home tonight. He's tired, long day. He's excited to tell that story, though. He's feeling really good about himself about that little story. But he gets home, and he puts his hand on the doorknob, and he's about, gentlemen, listen carefully. Unfortunately, your wives are probably here. It's going to ruin everything because they already know I'm telling you this. Puts his hand on the doorknob. He's about to walk through the door. And just before he opens the door, he says one simple three-word phrase. His one thing tonight. She comes first. And he opens the door and he walks in. Now look, lots of stuff's gonna happen that night. He's gotta tell his story about how that guy walked by and he's like a preacher now at work. He's got a lot of things to talk about. He's gonna ask about the kids and all this, but he has made a conscious decision that tonight at home, I'm going to always bring it back to her. What's been going on with her? What's happening with her? We'll talk about me a little while, but I'll push it right back towards her. Now, be mindful, gentlemen. There's a chance that about an hour in, she's gonna sit you down somewhere and say, okay, what did you do? Especially when you start washing dishes. When you start washing dishes, she's gonna be like, 911, get over here. She's gonna wonder what happened, but only one thing happened. Only one thing happened. You walk through the door with your thing, your idea, and it changed the entire environment. What I'm here to tell you is, this is an extremely powerful concept, and the Bible talks a lot about it. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew six. As I mentioned in the introduction, you can use this in any given conversation, like the example I gave, situation or environment like work or at home, but it's also really valuable for a single day. Tomorrow is Monday, it'll be Monday all day long. You can take one idea and it can be your Monday idea. Now if you're at a loss for something to choose, Jesus says, I'll go ahead and give you a great one. This ought to become your default one thing. In Matthew chapter six, you know he talks a lot in verse uh, 19 through 21 about your priorities and not being too materialistically minded, but focusing on spiritual things. You know verse 24, you can't serve two masters. You've studied that before. Verses 25 through 31, he says three times, do not worry. I know it's Monday. I know the time has changed. I know you're tired. Do not worry. But then he gives you the secret. He says one more thing, verse 34. He says, look, you can handle this. You can do it one day at a time. There's your increment. In verse 34, he says, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about Tuesday. 
Tomorrow, you'll wake up, you'll grab your one thing, and you'll master tomorrow. Today, you gotta handle today. But he already gives you the one thing. You know it very well. It's verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the conversations and all the environments and all the things that happen and all the concerns, all of that are like dominoes that fall into place behind the first one. I seek first the rule of God and his way. How many of you start your day like that? I don't know what's gonna happen today, but I've already chosen it. Today, I seek first his thing. Try that everywhere you go. By the way, start now, start today. You made it here, congratulations. You get a free Bible on your way out. Half price to Chick-fil-A tomorrow. I made up the second thing. I made up both things. You got up early, you set the alarm, and you got here. That's great. What are you doing here? Have you identified the one thing that brought you here, or are you just going to wait for the preacher to say something interesting or some song to hit you? What if it doesn't? Then it was just like a Sunday that rolled by. You've got to decide, I'm seeking him first, and I have identified that one thing. Here are a couple things that I like to do. On Sunday mornings, when I walk through the door of our church building on Sunday mornings, I choose my one thing. Now, I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as a generic thing, but then I try to narrow it down to a very specific thing. And for me, when I walk through the building on Sunday mornings, my one thing is visitors come first. Visitors come first. Preachers get this crawly, you know, feeling on them when a visitor is standing over there by themselves and members are over here talking about old stories and what happened over the weekend and a visitor's over there just wondering why did I come and how do I get out of here? It just tears us up, Jacob, it tears us up. Well, I've decided that my one thing on Sunday mornings is fresh faces, new faces and visitors. So I'm seeking the kingdom, but I've narrowed it down to one. And I need my buddies to understand that. If you're telling me a great fish story and you're just about to exaggerate the size of that fish and I see a fresh face come in, I'm gonna have to say, man, first of all, put your hands right back here where they belong and I'll be back in a minute. You've got to focus in or you just don't get anywhere. Does that make some sense to you? Like worship, okay, we're in worship. We're about to be in a worship service in a little bit. We've already sang. I know I'm gonna seek first. That's the day. The theme of the day is always God first, God's way first. But I tell you what I've been doing in worship. My one thing in worship is Jesus sitting on his throne next to the Father. I can see it right there. The Father and the Son, and they're watching us. Now, for you, it may be over here. He can be anywhere. He's good that way. But by seeing him, seeing me, you think that changes the way I sing it all? I think it changes the way I focus on the word. You see what we're doing? We're taking this idea of seeking first and we're just narrowing it down to a very tight idea. You think, well, Chris, I mean, you could think anything. It doesn't have to be that. There's lots of things. Yeah, I get it. Pick one. That's what I'm telling you. Choose something. Find your focal point and then let all those other things fall after it. What I wanna show you as we move through this is I wanna show you four examples. It turns out I'm reading from the New American Standard, updated New American Standard. And I tell you that now just in case yours reads a bit differently when you get there. But in this version, there are four New Testament stories that use the phrase, one thing. Now, in all four of those stories, you're about to see it, there's actually a lot of things. A lot of things get said, a lot of things get done, a lot of things matter. But in every one of those, there is an identification of a singular idea that really defines the entire environment. Let me just jump right in and show it to you. 
Open your Bibles, and if this was a class, I'd ask you where they are and see if you could guess them. But you probably would have a good shot at guessing this first one. Number one, do you remember when Jesus visited Mary and Martha? Mary and Martha. Look with me in Luke chapter 10, and I'll begin reading in verse 38. Verse 38 through 42. You probably know Martha, Martha. You're worried and bothered by so many things. Well, there's something going on here that she missed that caused all of that to happen. Look with me in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha, verse 40, Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to come to me. Is Martha, is Martha bothered by her sister? Like she's bothered by that. She's frustrated. She's cleaning the house. She's making lunch. She's getting everything set out. She's doing the important stuff. Her sister's just sitting in there in the living room at the feet of Jesus. You know, no big deal, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Many things, one thing. You're not going to be successful working many things. You gotta pick the one. Now here's why I like this example. First of all, was Martha doing anything sinful? Were her many things bad things? No. They were good things. They were important things. How many of you would invite Jesus over to a messy house? Actually, you'd probably be like, Jesus, just come over. It doesn't matter what the house looks like. But most of us would think we had to do all this work. Here's Mary. Mary knows that all that's important, but Mary has identified that more important than the food, more important than the floor, more important than the inside of the coffee cups being perfectly clean. We really don't care. As long as the coffee's good, we really don't care. More important than all of that right now is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Divine One in our living room. I believe I'll go cling on to his feet and not worry about the rest. Here's why this is important, especially wives and moms, but dads too. We get busy with so many things that we can even biblically defend. I gotta clean the house. You know, I've gotta work on this. I gotta do this with the kids. I've gotta do this. I mean, these are important things. This is part of doing what the Bible says. Look, I know there's lots of great things to do. What I'm saying is if you're going out throughout the day just doing a lot of good things, but you have not elevated one thing above all those things, you're going to miss Jesus sitting in your living room. And so I would ask you, people who say they're so busy, too busy for the third hour of worship, too busy to sit down and do Bible reading with their families, which is something we struggle with and work on at home, too busy for this. What I'm telling you is, you would have a great defense for all those things you're doing. Great defense. You'd have a great defense. It'd be like the most epic defense of all the things you're doing. And Jesus would look at you and say, you are worried and bothered about so many things but only one thing is necessary, me. I'm just telling you, you go into your day, your life, your home, and sitting at the feet of Jesus is your one thing, 
I promise, the dishes will get done. Your husband already told, he basically told us he was going to do it. When I told the story earlier, and he touched you on the arms. Like, <laughs> actually, you probably touched him with your, okay. <laughs> we start with this one. First of all, it's one of our biblical examples. Second of all, it shows that we're not saying root through all your sin and find some right thing to do. That's not our theme today. Our theme is root through all the good things you do and find something great because Jesus has got some great things for you. Let me show you a second one along the way. Sometimes it's not what we do, it's what we think and what we know. Open your Bibles to John, please, chapter nine. You need to be in the story of John nine. It's about the blind man who was healed. You remember this story well. You don't need me to recap all the content here. Here's this blind man. Jesus comes along. He heals him. And then there's this this major thoroughfare of of traffic and conversation because the, the Jews, the Pharisees, they don't like this. They don't like that this is a threat to them. They're educated. They know what's going on. They've got the old law figured out. And Jesus and the stuff he's doing just doesn't fit in very well. And so they put everybody on trial, the Jews do. They put the the healed man on trial twice and try to get him to really sort of renege on his testimony. They bring in the healed man's parents. They're doing everything they can. And when you get in John 9, I want you to look with me just in verses 24 and 25. John 9, 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man, that is Jesus, we know Jesus is a sinner. They're just sure of it, you know. Couldn't be dissuaded. Now watch this. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. And truthfully, I mean, the man had been blind. They didn't have Braille back then. He was probably not a scholar of the law. He really did not know that Jesus was the Messiah until later. So this is not a super educated, high-end, know-the-Bible-in-and-out guy. And that's probably why he said, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I guess I don't really know. He knows later when Jesus approached him. But here's what I want you to see. He says in verse 25, one thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. He goes on to say, what did he do to you? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why? Do do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become disciples too, do you? Which tells you the blind man is a, hey, wherever that guy goes, I'm going. Wherever that guy goes, I'm going. You can call him a sinner. You can put me on trial. You can persecute me. You can drag my parents in here. You can cast us out of the synagogue. You can banish us from Jerusalem. I don't care what you do because I know one thing. I was blind and now I see. And then, of course, later, Jesus comes up to him in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him. That's pretty awesome language, by the way. God been blind, you know. You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know, sometimes your one thing isn't going to be something that you're going to do. It's something that you know so completely, so entirely, so all-engrossingly that it doesn't matter what your neighbor does, what the devil does, what life does, you cannot be moved. I mean, think about this guy. Threats, he could not be moved. What is one thing you know about Jesus that is stronger than every temptation you will face this week? It's there. 
You just got to find it. I know this. I know I was dead. And now I'm alive. I know I was lost. And now I'm saved. I know I was alone. And now he's right there beside me. I love Ezra on this. God kept his hand on Ezra. I know that the hand of God is on me. One hand on my back, the other one swatting the adversaries out of my pathway. If you know that, now you walk around going, Chris, you know, you can just skip this point. I mean, I know that. Everybody knows that. No, I know you know of that. I'm asking you, have you made that your one thing today? Is that the one thought? The first domino upon which everything you say, do, and think must fall into place. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Let me show you a third example. Third example, please. Look with me this time in Mark chapter 10. I told you there'd be four. This one's a little bit different. Each one of these a little bit different. The first one is, I know you're busy and awesome, but you need to pick one thing today that's really gonna matter most. The second thing is more mental. It's more about your belief and your thinking. This is quite different than that. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, the rich young ruler story. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, verse 22, and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. We went downstairs this morning to get breakfast at the Comfort Suites and there were the Comfort Suites Donuts. Donuts are, well, they're just perfect, I guess. Except there's one problem with the donut. What is it? There's nothing in the middle. You eat to the middle, and there's just nothing. It's, it's decorative, and it's delicious, but there's nothing in the middle. And, you know, that's kind of the way this guy was. He had all this going for him. I haven't killed anybody lately. I haven't committed adultery on my spouse. I don't lie. I'm a good guy. I mean, look at this donut. There's all this. And Jesus said, yeah, but I'm looking right in the middle of you where there should be something very, very solid. And all I see is a hole in the middle. You see, this guy's story is a little bit different, isn't it? This is a guy doing a lot of the right things, checking a lot of the right boxes, goes to church, does all this. But when it comes to the true one thing that would absolutely transform him, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. You wonder about this. This gets debated all the time. I mean, is this what it takes to be a Christian? Do you need to, somebody here on row seven? You can count the rows if you want, see who I'm talking about. I just threw that out there. Does somebody here on row seven need to sell all that they own and give to the poor in order to get to heaven? Do we all need to sell what we own and give it to Chris, I mean the poor, to get to heaven? You know what? You know what my answer is to that? It used to be, no, 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 no. That's, this is just a, you know, it's just a first century Jewish story. My answer now is, maybe. 
if that's the, the one thing that's missing, if selflessness and generosity is missing, if greed is in the place, if greed is your first domino, you better sell everything you've got. Be better to live with nothing than for greed to be the first domino upon which everything else falls. The one thing that's lacking, and here's why I wanted to put this point in here. You may leave here and think, I'm gonna try this this week, and you get through a Monday and you just never really get to anything. You're trying to grab something, something you know about Jesus, something that you're gonna do, and you're trying to grab it, just nothing comes together. And you're thinking by Wednesday, man, that sermon, I thought it was good, it was terrible. I can't find anything. Can I just hit this mic for just a second? Maybe there's, is it okay if I say this? Maybe you can't find anything by Thursday because at this point in your life, there's actually, there's nothing there. It's not there. I mean, church is there. You're here. We go to church. But the one thing is not there. What I'm telling you is Jesus felt love for this guy. He didn't condemn him and throw him out. He just said, look, it's missing, and that's a problem. You need to go and find that one thing. Now would be a really good time for the water to start running behind me. A lot of people building those delicious-looking donuts of being a good neighbor, kind, coming to church, have not put on Christ in baptism to be elevated into a place of honor in his sight. You're a donut. You need some substance in the middle. And for a lot of people, it's going to start with that water. It's time. It's time to find the one thing that lacks so that you can find all of the rest of this. And then let me give you one more thing. We've got about five minutes here, one more thing. I've never preached a hard stop 28-minute lesson before, but it's going pretty well. We're doing okay. At 10, 940, right? Rock on. Go to Philippians 3. One more. Philippians 3. I'm going to broaden this thing out just a little bit. Philippians chapter 3. Love Philippians 3. Uh, I've been talking a lot this year about Excel Still More. We've got that podcast, Excel Still More. But really, that for me is old school. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 4 and the idea of getting better, just get better, ascend, never be satisfied, push, push, push. I mean, that's something that, that's been on my heart for years and years and years. And it, it really comes, it comes from 1 Thessalonians, but it also, for me, comes right here. It comes from this language. And by the way, you're about to get your fourth one thing right here which shows that the one thing is not always the same thing, it's just an important thing in each moment. Look with me in Philippians chapter three, verse 11. We know what Paul wants, he's very clear on that. I want to attain, verse 11, to the resurrection of the dead, or from the dead. I wanna, I wanna be raised, I wanna get to heaven. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. One thing I do. What is it, Paul? I gotta know. You're not as mature as you wanna be. You haven't reached the level that you want to attain to yet. You're marching along and you're not yet in the gates of heaven. What's the one thing you're going to do for sure? He said, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Time would fail us to talk about this in detail, but there's a difference between the goal and the prize. The prize is heaven. Don't worry too much about that. That's God's business. If you strive for the goal, the goal is to cross the finish line as fast as you possibly can, to be running at your absolute fittest and best when you cross that finish line. That's the goal. Run faster. 
Train harder, get better. And if you achieve the goal of improvement, the goal of improvement, you're not going to worry about the prize. The Lord will grant it to you graciously. You know, there are a lot of people who want the ribbon but don't win the race. Anybody know about that? Everybody wants those medals. I want an Olympic medal to put in my office, a gold one. I really, really would like to have that. Prizes like that would be great conversation starters. Hey, the one thing is, have a gold medal. I'll never get that prize because I'm not disciplined enough to press forward towards the goal, which is winning something, achieving something. Here's what I'm here to tell you. If you want to know how this all kind of sums up, whether it's identifying the one thing in the room that deserves my attention or identifying the one thing that you think about that really is going to drive the day and change relationships or even a very humble, prayerful conversation with God about what's missing. We studied yesterday in Hebrews 10 about sometimes we used to be great and we're not so great anymore. There used to be something there, and now it's not there anymore. Your ability to go back and find that again, that's really important. But maybe the thing that will help you most, Philippians chapter 3, is three words. Just get better. Just get better. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. We're constantly pressing forward to the goal. And so I would say as we conclude today, maybe, maybe your one thing is becoming a Christian in baptism. Maybe it's time to get better. How many of you know, and look, I could get off in this, but we need to quit. There's just way, way too much of this in the church. You know what this is? This is me just hanging on. This doesn't actually exist. It's this. It's just the devil has messed up your angle so that when you think you're just kind of getting along. So what are your spiritual goals this year? Hang in there. Oh, the devil's got you. There's, there's a hole in the middle of you. Because there's no such thing as hang in there, it's always this. Paul said, one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I'm, I'm pressing on, I'm reaching forward. You're either going this way or you're going that way. You gotta choose your one thing. and Head that direction. Maybe it's baptism into Christ. Maybe it's just looking around the room and finding a way to serve. But don't beat the air without aim. Choose your target. Choose one target at a time and hit it. We can help you. We're here to do that. Thanks a lot for your time and attention in the class today.